Chapter 15. I count all things loss in view of knowing Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 8-9. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All things are a loss. All things are all things. What a powerful, powerful statement that Paul makes here. He is saying that nothing in his life compares to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us think this is way too simple and are searching for more than this. More than the more than life and works and function for Christ rather than in Jesus himself. This is a very common reality in the body of Christ and it causes mass burnout, disillusionment, frustration and leaves us sick because our hope has been deferred. I believe the statement from Paul that he considers all things a loss compared to the passing value of knowing Jesus is more powerful than many in the body of Christ realize. What stands right in front of us we may miss because we perceive it to be way too obvious. It's the same old story, that the grass is greener on the other side, when in fact grass is grass, and we need to look at the grass that we are currently standing on. What are all things? All things are all things. Think about the all things in your life right now. How long would your list be of all the things you hold dear to yourself? How precious and what value do you place on your all things? I imagine some of our all things would be our relationships, our wife or our husband, maybe a child or children, maybe it's a parent or a grandparent. For some, it will be their possessions, their accomplishments, their achievements, the ability to make money and create wealth. Is it sports or our careers or ministry? Whatever our all things are for us, and whatever they were for Paul, he is saying that he counts all of these things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ his Lord. The truth is, if we don't have this knowledge of Jesus, then the value of our all things will trump the value of our relationship with him. The greater the true knowledge of Jesus Christ we are receiving through the revelation of the Spirit, the greater the value we'll put on knowing Jesus. This true knowing of Jesus trumps everything and all things. What man values the most is what man will live his life by and for. The scriptures teach us that what man treasures is where his heart will be found. His heart, love, affection, adoration, commitment, passion and devotion will all be engulfed in what man values the most. We can look at the word loss and in our minds be led astray from what this all means. For us to value knowing Jesus more than our all things, we must have vision. If we can't see what's in Christ, then how can we value him more than the things we know, see, touch, and hold that are directly in front of us? No wonder the Bible says how blessed is the man who believes, even though he has not seen. 
The man who believes, even though he has not seen, has in fact seen. But it's not a seeing in the natural. It's a seeing through the lens of the Spirit. This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in the knowledge of God. Paul knew that knowledge, or the knowing of Jesus Christ, starts in the Spirit or the heart. He knew firsthand that man requires revelation and ongoing revelations of Jesus Christ directly from the Spirit if he is to have any kind of knowledge that births Christ's literal life within us. No wonder David said he wanted truth in his innermost being, his Spirit. We see this reality outworked in Galatians 1, 11-12, where Paul goes to great lengths to teach us where he receives his eternal abiding life from. He wants to make it very clear to us all that the gospel, the good news that he preached, was not according to man. The gospel he received wasn't man's version of it, nor did he receive it from a man or was he taught it by man, but he received the gospel, the word of God, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Once again, I am not sure we grasp the magnitude of this reality. Many of us probably read this and go, yeah, yeah, But how many of us actually know what Paul is declaring and the life-changing transformative position he is now in because of this? I think some of us probably think we are all in the same reality as Paul and life just continues as it always has. To think like this would be to our own detriment. Paul was very much concerned that we would be led astray in our minds from the simplicity and purity of a devoted life in Christ. He compared the fall of man in the garden to the Corinthians being led astray from what the entire gospel is really about. If we want to discover what the finish line is for the church, we must discover this truth in the Son. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did we hear that? Did we hear that? Did we hear that? Jesus asked Peter three times, did he love him? And they asked us three times, did we hear what we just read in the previous paragraph? I don't mean hear it in your mind or physical ears. Did you hear it in the place of understanding your spirit? To not be able to hear what you just read will have you in continuing to live your life as per usual, rather than being apprehended and arrested by the truth. The power of the ask. Why do you think Paul prays that the Father will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? Why does Paul pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened? For what purposes? To not ask these questions nor pursue the reality to these questions is to stay where you have always been and receive what you have always received. If we live like this, we will never come into the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. So what we currently see and know will always hold our value and attention. We won't be able to say life is but rubbish compared to knowing Jesus because we don't have a reference for what Jesus is in, that which trumps what we currently value. This is so serious and yet as mentioned, it doesn't grab our attention as it is supposed to. Why do you think Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 7 that to stay single is really a better option than being married if one can live like this. He says this, for our benefit and not to put a restraint upon us, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 
35. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Relationship above function. How does one live a life that is purely devoted to the Lord and not be distracted by the things of the world and even the things that God has given us? The answer lies in the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. We have been created for relationship well before we have been created for function. Ask yourself if you agree with the statement. Then ask yourself if the evidence of your day-to-day life communicates something entirely different. Do our very lives communicate function first, relationship second? It's all about what we do for God as opposed to who we are becoming in God. There is a person to become along with works to do, but the becoming or being posture must define the doing posture and not the other way round. This is hurting us from ever knowing the surpassing value of knowing what is discovered in Jesus Christ, which forms an eternal life within us, and always defines our function. And God desires for us to know him in such a way that our lives are completely transformed and the fullness of God reigns in us. Ephesians 3.19 And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. The greater we know and are perfected and become love, the greater fullness of God reigns in and through us. Now tell me that this reality wouldn't have you saying like Paul, everything is a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Suffering the loss of all things. Paul suffered the loss of all things for the one he loved the most. Paul was wholeheartedly in love with Christ and had committed his entire life to live with and for Christ. As we have already looked at, Paul did not consider his life of any account dear to himself so that he could finish the course that Christ had him on and that his entire life would bring glory to his maker. We are to be imitators of this reality as well. He was prepared to lay all things down so he could gain more of Christ. He suffered the loss of being married, having children, having a career, a home, of not living in much comfort and counted all things rubbish so that he may gain Christ and be found in him. He is not saying any of things are wrong, but for him, he didn't want them to get in the way of gaining more of Christ. Paul knew the will of God and he knew his purpose in this will and he wasn't going to allow anything to get in the way of this. He knew if anything got in the way of God's will, He was putting his eternal inheritance at stake. This is exactly the same for us as well. If we let the things of God get in the way of our love for God himself, we will ultimately be putting our own inheritance at stake. Jesus warns us of this very thing where he says in Matthew 10, 37, that if we love another more than him, we are not worthy of him. Knowing the Father's love in us, Only love can create this wholehearted devotion in someone's life. As the scriptures teach us, that a person might die for a good man, but an evil man who would even think to die. The love that was in Christ and the Father, that had the Son come and die for us while we were all still sinners, is the same love that had been deposited and perfected in Paul. Hence he was able to imitate God and love like God. 
It is also fully possible for us all to live and love like this, laying our lives down and suffering the loss of all things for him. When we too have this love being deposited and perfected in us, as 1 John 2, 5-6 declares, we too must suffer the loss of all things and be found in him if we want this reality to be ours. Paul knew that by gaining the fullest measure that is possible in Christ, he would gain a life that empowered and enabled him to live a life worthy of what he and the church had been called for. He knew he could demonstrate the impossible but possible life. He knew he would be able to demonstrate the reality to which truth calls us. Paul suffered greatly at the hands of the Israelites and the Gentiles who beat him, stoned him, cursed at him, planned to kill him, and yet he still said although he was afflicted in every way, he wasn't crushed. He said they were perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. It was the very living reality or knowledge of Jesus Christ within Paul that enabled and empowered him to write down the reality he and others were living out. Paul was fully able to demonstrate this wisdom because of the Jesus he knew, loved, and was found in. Now this is a vision worth laying one's life down for. I wonder how many of us as the church see this vision in the Spirit. And if we can't, are we prepared to seek God until he opens our eyes in the knowledge of it? This is exactly what Christ has laid hold of the church for and we must pursue the Spirit to lay hold of it. Otherwise, our lives will come short of all he has called us to. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul said he was to be found in Christ. What does this mean, to be found in Christ? If a video is taken of our lives over a three to six month period, where would we all be found? What would the evidence say about where we spend our time, energy, focus, priorities, resource, thinking, and actions? Would our very lives be the evidence of what we profess? Would our lives match our words or say the complete opposite to our words? This is something every one of us must truly face and allow the true reality to bring conviction to our hearts. Failure to allow this to happen will have us justifying our behavior and ultimately keeping us out of the life of Christ. True Fellowship To be found in Christ means to be found in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To be found in Christ means to be growing in spiritual oneness with the triune God, and have our lives hidden in Christ. We are identifying with Christ more and more until we no longer identify with who we once were. We are becoming so one with God that one can hardly distinguish the difference. We are not becoming gods, but we are becoming so Christ-like that as he is, so also we are in this world. 1 John 4, 17 this was Jesus' prayer in John 17 for all his disciples, that all disciples all around the world, past, present and future, would be one as he and the Father are one. If we are found in Christ, then this will be the church's reality, as this is the promise of Jesus himself, and every promise in God is yes and amen.
If we look at the body of Christ today, do we see a church that is one with her Father, her Lord and Saviour, the Spirit and other followers? This is a question that every follower of Jesus must be prepared to ask and allow the truth to permeate their heart and mind. Are we as the church all found in Christ, which then leads to the outcome of spiritual oneness? What does the evidence say? I believe today God is arresting and apprehending our flesh and his spirit is radically redefining all those who are truly hungry and thirsty for what God intended from the beginning. Spiritual oneness or unity. This will only happen when we are all found in Christ. We may be in a relationship with God and one another, but are we in fellowship with God and one another? John in 1 John 1.3 invites us to have fellowship with him and the church he knows as they have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Our relationship with God, his Son and one another can stay at a surface level and very shallow where it can go to the depths of fellowship, spiritual oneness. The choice is ultimately all ours and being found in Christ will lead us to this place of fellowship. Our fellowship with one another is not based on how well we know one another relationally, but our connectedness to being in the same Father. When we are all growing in our fellowship with the Father, we grow in fellowship with one another. It's this simple. All that comes from the knowing of Jesus Christ. The power of fellowship. Only when we walk in the light, Christ, as he is in the light, do we have fellowship with one another. For us to have fellowship with one another, we must walk in Christ. If we walk in darkness or the flesh, we don't have fellowship with him. Hence, we don't have it with one another. Notice that fellowship or spiritual oneness has nothing to do with knowing people, but our knowing of Christ. When we are in fellowship with him, we will be in fellowship with one another, and a lost world will know Jesus was sent for them. Colossians 2, 2-4 shares with us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ himself. It's this knowledge that sets the church ablaze and on fire.